This is the Parenting ADHD Podcast with Penny Williams. Each week, Penny shares proven ADHD parenting strategies and her hard-won ADHD mama wisdom. This is not your physician's podcast. Penny discusses the genuine grit of the moment-by-moment peaks and valleys of this special parenthood. It's time to beat the chaos and challenges of raising a child with ADHD. Here's your host, Penny Williams. Hello, hello. Welcome to the episode number 026 of the Parenting ADHD podcast. I'm really excited to talk about why your traditional parenting rule book doesn't work at all for kids with ADHD, but also how to write a rule book for your child that does work. That's what we're going to talk about today. And this is really at the root of my work with parents. This is the foundation of being able to turn things around for the better, to have more positivity in your family, in your own life, in your own parenting, and for your child as well. So this is a really, really crucial aspect. And the more people that I research, um, that I interview for this podcast, rather, the more I hear this same message, this reinforcement of the idea that we really have to create an entirely new and different rule book for our kids because our kids are different, right? They are not neurotypical. They are neuroatypical. And so this is why it is so vital to your parenting success, but also to your child feeling some success now and in the future is to really just change things and tailor them in a way that's going to work for your child that's going to craft that life of success and joy for them in their future. So the first step in this is to completely destroy your traditional parenting ideas, throw them out, cast them aside. Um, If you have any sort of general parenting guides for neurotypical kids, I encourage you to take the step of actually destroying them. And it's painful to me to talk about destroying books. But I think for some people, going through that motion, that symbolic action, really solidifies that you are throwing out every parenting ideal and norm that doesn't work for your child. And in those generalized parenting guidebooks, a great portion of it does not work for your child and will not. And I don't want you to get stuck in that space of trying to make it work, of trying to squish your square peg kid in that tiny round hole. You know, we already have to do that for the majority of our kids in 
schooling. You know, a lot of us have to send our kids to mass education institutions in the United States, and we are already trying to squeeze them into a norm where they don't fit. And, you know, we work with schools, we get IEPs, we get 504 plans and accommodations, and, you know, we do our very best for our kids to make it um, as smooth as possible to help them learn, to help them succeed. But it is still very much um, an environment that's not tailored to them unless they're in, you know, a self-contained special education program or they're in a specialized school, you know, otherwise the general expectations in that environment are for neurotypical kids, right? Neurotypical kids, your child's calendar age and your child has a developmental disability and they are behind that calendar age in maturity and in so many developmental skills. So already, you know, you're say 10-year-old who's in mm, fifth grade, sixth grade, fifth grade is, you know, placed in this environment under this umbrella of 10-year-old fifth or sixth grade expectations and they don't fit in that umbrella. They're somewhere off to the side at seven or eight-year-old functioning in many ways, right? And so this is what applies to you and your parenting as well. This is why you have to completely cast out traditional parenting ideals and norms. And Let's talk a minute about what I mean by that. So one example of a traditional parenting norm would be that kids come home and they do homework because it's important, because the teacher told them to, or because you told them to, because it's going to create success for them later in their lives, right? This is what we are taught as we grow up. And this is what we automatically expect from our kids. But the problem is that our kids aren't wired for importance to motivate them. Dr. William Dodson of um, he has an ADHD center out in Colorado, I believe. He talks about the ADHD brain, the ADHD nervous system, and how it is motivated by urgency, as we all are, and by interest, as we all are, but it is not, not motivated by importance, as neurotypical individuals are. You know, growing up for me, there was an expectation that I did my homework, that I studied, that I worked to achieve good grades. And so I did because it was important. My teachers were telling me it was important. My parents were telling me it was important. And my brain functions that way. I can force myself to do something that I don't like because it's important, and so the very first thing that you have to realize for your kids when you're throwing out these traditional parenting norms is that you have to throw out those expectations 
of what a typical child, your child's calendar age, should be doing. Um, Elaine Taylor Klaus of Impact ADHD says to stop shooting all over your child. And I love that. That is so, so true. If you find yourself saying that your child should do this or should be able to do that, that's a red flag for you. That is a red flag waving high in front of your face that your child is not able to meet that neurotypical expectation that you are shoulding on, right? If you're saying should a lot, that is definitely a red flag for you and an area where you can stop and say, okay, I really need to rewrite my parenting rule book for this situation. I need to come up with what works for my child. And, you know, this is not just about homework, you know, anything that is a typical expectation for our kids. So, Say it's that you only eat at the dinner table um, and your child is not comfortable eating at the dinner table. My son, we've had family dinners every day almost for, you know, more than a decade before he suddenly decided that he was not comfortable eating his food and talking. He didn't like to be questioned. And so your norm, right, for family dinner is that you sit down and you say, hey, how was your day? What are you doing at school? What are you looking forward to? You know, it's all these discussions about what is happening with your child um, outside of your time together. And for him, that was super, super uncomfortable. And it was just not enjoyable anymore. Um, Once he reached, I would say, age 13, maybe. And so we kind of let family dinner slide. We don't all sit together at the table anymore. And that's okay. You know, was I disappointed that we weren't going to have family dinner anymore? Sure. I mean, honestly, yes, of course I was. But I recognized that this was part of my son's truth, and this is what I needed to do for him. This was a way that I needed to rewrite my parenting rule book, right? And be able to accommodate what's true for him. It can be, you know, the idea that kids need to eat fruits and vegetables. Some kids with developmental disorders like ADHD and autism have food aversions and sensory sensitivities that make it hard for them to eat that, you know, balanced diet that we all feel like our kids should follow. And there are ways to adjust for that. First, you know, if they're, you honor what they're willing to eat and what they're not willing to eat. And then second, you get nutrition in other ways, right? You give them a booster and ensure with lots of vitamins and minerals, or they take vitamins and supplements, or, you know, there are ways to, again, adjust and tailor our parenting expectations for our kids. And that's what we have to do. We cannot, you cannot get stuck in that space of expecting typical norms of your child. 
you are going to feel like crap. Your child is going to feel like crap. Everyone around you is going to feel like crap. It just isn't successful. It isn't effective. And frankly, it's not compassionate. You know, part of compassionate parenting is is accepting your child for who they are and where they are at and respecting it. That's compassionate parenting. And that's how you rewrite your rule book. You respect your child's truth in this moment. And so how do you discover your child's truth? You have to work as a detective. You know, your parenting, part of your parenting of a kid with ADHD is being a detective. You need to be um, almost hyper aware of your child, their interests, their talents, their successes, their weaknesses, their fears, what makes them happy, their interests, um, all of these things that you are going to discover through your awareness and through your detective work are going to kind of define your child's truth for you. And, you know, the first very basic and simple truth to define is where your child is developmentally. The rule of thumb with most experts in ADHD is that a child with ADHD is 20 to 30% behind their peers. For a long time, that's, you know, two to three years or so. So my 15-year-old, if he were 30% behind his peers in some aspects, which I believe that he is, then he's 10 in some aspects. Think about the contrast between a 15-year-old and a 10-year-old. Think about the differences in your expectations of a 15-year-old versus a 10-year-old, and where I would kind of put him in that category of being all the way at 30% behind would be executive functionings for sure. Also, emotional um, sensitivity and intensity and getting stuck and kind of having really poor resilience, which is something that we are starting to work on for him now that it's become kind of clear that that's a big stumbling block. You know, over the years, we have been able to kind of soften some other hurdles, you know, and he's matured and learned self-awareness and self-regulation to some extent. And so this kind of lack of resilience has become kind of come to the forefront of some of the struggle. And so that's something that he's really far behind in and that we need to work on. And so when I think about where my child is developmentally, when I'm taking into account where he's 20 and 30% behind, then I'm able to craft appropriate expectations. Now I'm able to say, okay, when he gets frustrated and gets stuck in that space for two hours and he just can't get past it, even though a neurotypical 15-year-old would be like, this sucks for you know, 10, 20 minutes and then go on, 
I can't expect that of him because his brain is just not there. It's not there yet. It's not to say that it won't get there. You know, a lot of ADHD is kind of late blooming. And I would strongly encourage you to go on YouTube and look for a TEDx talk from Choosy Jardine, I believe you pronounce it, about... Um, Andreas Torres, who was a Major League Baseball player. I don't think he's an active player anymore, but he was um, on the San Francisco Giants team at the time. And Choosy is a filmmaker who was doing a documentary on him. And what the conclusion that he came to after spending a ton of time with Andreas was that he was a late bloomer. He just got there later, but he had the capability to get there. He had the capability to succeed and to succeed really big. Um, That TEDx talk is very powerful, and I really encourage you to Google it and watch it or listen to it. It's fantastic, and it's very insightful, and it really kind of drives home this idea of our kids are behind, but they're not going to be behind forever necessarily. Now, that's not to say that ADHD is going to go away or suddenly be cured, We know that that's not true. You know, you have the brain that you're born with, and that's the brain that you have for your entire life. And so there is no kind of taking away ADHD, but a lot of the developmental delays and the skill deficits and delays that happen in childhood with ADHD, they are able to for the most part overcome or learn to cope with and work around in adulthood, but it could be, you know, where a neurotypical kid going off to college is able to manage themselves and their money and things like that. Our kids could be five years behind that before they reach that point, but they'll get there for a lot of things. Now, I certainly worry about my son and money management, um, and I'm not sure that he'll ever really get there and be successful with that because of his impulsivity and um, needing to have things right away. You know, that those stuck thoughts and those fixations really play a huge role in the way he manages money. You know, the second he has money, he's spending money. He's figuring out what he can finally get that he really wants. Um, And usually that entails begging me for more money because he doesn't have enough for what he wants because he won't save it, right? And this is a work in progress. And yes, he's 15 and he should be learning this. But in that aspect, he's probably 10 or 11. So he's just starting to be able to grasp those concepts and just starting to be able to maybe change his habits there, right? So these are all just little examples of discovering what's really true for your child, discovering where they are developmentally, and then going forward from that information what can you draw on that information? What do you now know about your child? And then every decision that you make for your child, for your expectations of your child, should be patterned after 
that picture of their truth and what's true to them. That's your compass for parenting. And that's how you're going to be able to rewrite your rule book, you're going to be able to then make different parenting decisions that are not based on parenting norms or ideals, but that are completely based on your child, the child you are raising today. And your rule book is going to ebb and flow. It's going to change. Our kids grow. They learn some of the skills that they're lagging. They learn self-awareness and self-regulation. Um, you know, they start to be more motivated in certain areas, or you're learning how to attach external motivation to help them achieve and, and complete what they need to. And these things are going to change as they grow older and as they um, mature some and, and just change in general. And so that's really important too. I don't want you to think that today your child is say seven years old, you're going to sit down and you're going to make all these notes, you're going to rewrite your rule book, so to speak, even if it's up in your, in your psyche and your conscience, and that that's going to guide you until they're 18 or 25 or whatever. It's not. It's going to have to change. You're going to have to be very flexible in the way that you um, kind of define expectations for your child. And we're talking about defining your own expectations of your child, of your parenthood as well. You know, you probably gave birth or adopted your child and expected to raise a neurotypical kid and have a typical parenthood, right? 99.9% of us did. That's what we expected. And we have to also kind of work through our emotions and accept that we don't have that parenthood. Now, you may have that parenthood with another child that you have, but you don't have that parenthood with your child with ADHD. And I know that right now for some of you, that is crushing. To hear that out loud is absolutely crushing. But this is where you have to start from. This is the place where improvement begins without that realization and acceptance that you do not have a typical parenting journey with this child. You're always going to be frustrated. You're always going to be stuck and mostly ineffective for your child. This is that important. So it's not just about your expectations of your child. It's also about your expectations of your parenthood and what that journey should look like. Be very mindful there. And you might have gotten an ADHD diagnosis for your child years ago and still never quite accepted that you don't have a typical parenting journey with that child. And that could be the point where you're getting in your own way. That could be the hurdle that has kept you kind of spinning your wheels in the muck of ADHD and not making progress. This could be your aha to finally start propelling you forward. It's not just for parents with new diagnoses because people aren't talking about this. 
The books that you're told to read when your child is diagnosed with ADHD don't talk about this. You know, the the typical expert books, Barclay and Hallowell, and um, I think Hallowell touches on it some, um, but people are not talking about our parenting journey. They're not talking about the grief that comes from a shift in that journey, from recognizing that it's going to be more challenging, that you know there may be more grief in your parenting journey. People are not really talking about that with a diagnosis. And so we're all just kind of scraping our way through this parenthood and looking for these sorts of answers. And often we don't come to them until way into that journey. You know, it was probably three or four years after my son was diagnosed before I was able to really recognize that I couldn't expect anything typical, um, that I really had to stop relying on my idea of parenthood and society's idea of parenthood. And I had to make a lot of shifts. And when I did, things really started turning around. So it's so, so important in learning your child's truth that you then extrapolate from that what you can to really define what's true about your own parenthood and to accept that that journey is going to be different than the norm and probably different than what you expected. But as I've talked about in other podcasts, imperfect can be beautiful. And Diane Dempster of Impact ADHD said in the podcast that we did together that she encourages her parent clients to think about what you have today as perfect. Don't even think about imperfection and accepting it. Just accept that what you have in the present moment is your perfect. Look for how you can make it your perfect. And that can be really powerful. And, and you know, entirely what we're talking about today really goes to your own mindfulness, being aware of your own thoughts and feelings about your child, about your parenthood, being aware of your child's strengths and weaknesses, being aware of their mental well-being, their emotional well-being, their social well-being. Um, you know, it's just this super heightened awareness that we have to have as parents of kids with ADHD. And then after we have that awareness, we have to use it to define our expectations, to rewrite that rule book specific to our child. So when you do this, now you have appropriate expectations, right, for your child, for yourself. But here's the great part. The outcome of that is that now you've created lots of opportunities for your child to have successes. And in doing that, 
you have now created a framework for your child to be self-confident, to have self-esteem, to instead of feeling bad and broken and stupid and lazy, now they can feel successful. They can feel like um, a worthy part of society, a worthy part of your family. It really changes the, the perspective and the mindset of your entire family toward the positive. And that's always a better space to live in, right? I mean, I definitely want more joy and more feelings of success in my family than the opposite, than the negative. Of course, we all do. And this process of casting aside your ideas of traditional parenting and rewriting the rule book to be tailored for your own child and your own family is creating a more positive mindset and a more positive environment for your child. And only good can come from that. Only improvement and growth and success can come from that. And that is just paramount and so very powerful. So I don't want you to feel really overwhelmed by this conversation today. Don't feel like you have to sit down right now, grab a notebook and fill it up with all of the, you know, different ideas about your parenting for your child with ADHD, what I want you to do is start by opening your mindfulness and your awareness of yourself and your child. Start there. Start being more aware of what your child's behavior is telling you, what your child is struggling with. Um, also what they're good at and what they're interested in. This is all about kind of counterbalancing the negative. No one wants to live a life that is more negative than positive. No one feels good about a day that has 80% negative and 20% positive, right? We want to shift that. We want to work and be mindful and create opportunities and get ourselves in the right mindset so that our child's days are more like 80% positive and 20% struggle or negative. And, you know, having struggle is okay. We're all human beings. We all have some struggles everyone, even neurotypical, very successful, maybe wealthy people still have weaknesses and struggles because there's no such thing as perfect. So your goal here is not 100% positivity because that's not possible. It's not realistic and you will never meet that goal. Your goal here is more positive 
than negative, and it can be a gradual transformation. You're not going to flip the switch today and suddenly have tons of positive and very little negative. This is a process. This is something that you will learn to do more of over time. You will learn to be more mindful. You will learn to be more aware. You will learn to look at situations, behavior, um, outbursts, struggles, whatever the situation may be, and you will be able to learn something from it that you can use as a tool to create more of a positive experience. You will learn that what you're seeing on the surface is just symptoms. You will drill down to underneath where your actual problem is, and you will use that information to work on that struggle and to create some positivity out of negativity, right? Um, Ross Green, of course, as I've talked about many times before um, in the book, Raising Human Beings and in The Explosive Child, really talks about how behavior is just the surface And the reason for the behavior is your actual problem. And we've talked about that in a prior podcast that I will link up in the show notes as well. So, you know, all of this is about a shift in your own mindset that then shifts your entire parenting and your child's experience. And it goes to a much better place. So, you know, just start by being mindful. Start by thinking about what I've talked about in this episode and how you can start to make a shift in your own family and your own parenting really is the first step to having more appropriate insights and information to create more appropriate expectations Start with that, you know, just be mindful and aware, Um, have that heightened awareness for a week or two weeks or a month, whatever works for you. And then say to yourself, okay, what can I do with some of this information and make an action plan? Um, This is just so powerful to turn things around for your child and your family. And I did, I've talked about this in a prior podcast episode, at least one, I think. Um, I just released a new online course called Get Your Mind Right. And it walks you through all the steps of how to... um, how to change your mindset. I mean, that's overall, that's it in a nutshell. You're changing your mindset so that you can do better for your child and better for yourself because it absolutely takes a different mindset to successfully and effectively raise a child with ADHD. I can't stress enough how super important that is for you. And with that, we are 
concluding this episode of the Parenting ADHD podcast, please visit parentingadhdandautism.com slash 026. That will take you directly to the show notes, links to what we've talked about here today. And as well, you can leave comments. I would love, love, love to hear your comments about what you're learning in this episode or in other episodes of the podcast. Take good care and I'll talk with you soon. Thanks for listening to the Parenting ADHD Podcast with Penny Williams. If you like what you just heard, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher. Visit the website, parentingadhdandautism.com for so much more on successfully raising kids with ADHD. Be sure to check out the podcast section as well for previous shows. Join us next time for more parenting strategies and insights that actually work for kids with ADHD.